The following podcast is from Doxa Church in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. For more information about Doxa Church, please visit us online at www.doxachurch.org. So we're uh, still in our series, In Spite of Us, The Story of God and His People in First Samuel. And this week in, we're in chapter 25, so we're around in the bend, we're, we're heading home, we're actually will be uh, finished with this series by the end of this month. And what we're seeing is that David and his men are still in exile. They're, they're forced to move from hideout to hideout, cave to, to hideout. They're hiding up in the, in the hills in order to evade Saul. King Saul is uh, pursuing David in order to kill him. And, and last week we saw how in pursuing David, Saul accidentally uh, walked in uh, in a very uh, compromising position into the, the, the cave that Dave was in. I like to call him Dave. That, that Dave was in. And I feel like we're close like that. And, and, and his men were saying, hey, go kill him. God has delivered him to your hands. And David said, no, I'm, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to return Saul's evil with evil. I'm going to return his evil with good. And so we saw how whenever he then told Saul about what had happened and called out to him, how that touched Saul's heart. And it, it really, at least temporarily, broke the cycle of retribution, of like you know, paying back evil for evil back and forth and that escalating over and over again. And so now what we're seeing in this chapter is it's time for David to be betrayed society. He's got about 600 of them around now, and he's going to be betrayed again. And only this time, what we're going to see is that David's not feeling quite so merciful to this guy as he was to Saul. And we see that David almost, almost, David almost makes a humongous, a humongous mistake. He's wronged and he's understandably angry. I think you and I could probably relate to that to some extent. Maybe it's not somebody who's trying to kill you or otherwise, but, but at least some way, every single one of us in this room have been wronged and we've been angry, and maybe justifiably so, in return. But the, this really, this, this trouble, when David is betrayed by this man, and we'll get to it in a second, is, is really troublesome because at the beginning of this chapter, Samuel, the, the prophet who this book and the next book is actually named after, Samuel the prophet dies. Samuel was David's spiritual leader. He was his counselor, and maybe in some ways, uh, he was David's uh, mentor. He was the man who anointed David, or Dave, as the future king of Israel, and, and now he is gone. So where is he going to receive wisdom from? Where is he going to receive counsel? Who's left that's powerful that's on David's side? The the mighty prophet, the well-respected prophet Samuel, like his one person that he could run to when Saul was coming after him, now he is gone. And in the middle of this, David is, is wronged. He's insulted and he's mocked by a man who is a, a foolish man in himself. And... This situation is going to become much worse until someone acts wisely and saves the day for both David and a number of other people as well. So here's the big idea that we're going to have this morning. I want you guys to think about as we go through this text. Wisdom triumphs over evil. Wisdom triumphs over evil. How can wisdom triumph over, over evil when Everything around us seems to be so evil, and it seems to be so powerful, and it seems to be so prevalent, right? Doesn't it seem hard? Like the, the, the idea that the good guys always win does not seem to work, doesn't it? Doesn't like the guys with the black caps, like black hats, don't they just seem to be winning a lot? Like the patriots? 
I mean, no, don't take that seriously. But I mean, like, don't it seem like the bad guys around us are winning? And sometimes you're like, how can wisdom, how can, how can I be wise and actually, and actually get ahead and actually overcome evil? And so what we're going to see is there's three main characters in this part of our story. And we're going to see how wisdom triumphs over evil. And as we do so, I want you guys to listen carefully and see which person in this story do you most identify with. All right, so these are the three people we're going to look at. We're going to see a powerful fool. We're going to see an, uh, a humble warrior, and we're going to see an unlikely hero. We're going to see a powerful fool. We're going to see a humble warrior, and we're going to see an unlikely hero. So uh, to start off the, the chapter, we saw that, as we just said, Samuel dies. And now look at verse 2 if you, have a, if you have your Bible. If you don't have one, there's some black ones underneath the chairs, and you can grab those up. So there was a man in Maon whose business was in Carmel. And the man was very rich, very rich. Put pin that in your head. He had 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats. Now, that doesn't mean anything to you and me. You're like, man, I don't want any of that. But in this, like, in this day, in the agricultural society, your, your fortune was in your livestock, and he has a bunch of it. He is very, he's not just rich, he is very rich. Now, the name of the man was Nabal, and the name of his wife, Abigail, the woman was discerning and beautiful, but the man was harsh and badly behaved. He was a Calebite. And David heard in the wilderness so that uh, Nabal was shearing his sheep. So what had happened was, what had happened was David was guarding Nabal's sheep up in the hills. Now, all these sheep and all these goats, his shepherds went to find good, good land, and it was far away from Nabal's home. And so David and his men happened to be hiding up in the hills around where these shepherds and all these livestock were. And it was a very precarious situation for shepherds to be in, because if you have that many sheep and that many goats, I mean, it is sprawling. It's all over over the place, and it'd be very easy, especially at night, for thieves to come in and steal off maybe one or two or, or a few at a time the sheep. And they, sometimes they would even get very violent with the shepherds themselves and just try to take the whole flock away. And so you'd be in a very precarious situation. And so now these shepherds with all these, all this livestock are up in the hills and they find David and his men around. And David and his men don't take advantage of them being here and eat their sheep and take their livestock for themselves. They actually guard this livestock. They guard this herd and they keep them safe. Now, we think that, uh, we uh, certainly, uh, we know that Nabal and David were from the same tribe, and some people think that there was, because uh, they have some sort of common ties to Bethlehem, that they might have been related to each other at some, at some level. So, Nabal at least knows who David is. He knows his dad. He knows who David is. They have some sort of connection with each other. He might have known David as a kid. There may be a relation between them. And so Nabal hears that uh, David was guarding his sheep. And now David hears that, the, that they are shearing the sheep. So they're reaping the profit from the sheep. And David sends messengers to Nabal and says, hey, uh, we helped you, you, your, your people out. We kept them safe. Today's a feast day. Would you give us something? We're hiding up in the woods and in the, in the hills. We need some help. Would you give us something? Da Nabal was very rich and he'd be very capable of doing so. Uh, in Near East customs, he was actually required to do so when somebody asked for help. And since David actually performed a service according to the Torah or the law, actually Nabal was actually uh, indebted to David and was, at, was, was called by the Torah, by the 
law to actually help David out. And so what David is asking is not something unreasonable at all. He performed a service, and he is now looking to uh, get some return on that. Now, let's pause there. Now we, we have our three characters to the story. We have names. We have Abigail, we have Nabal, and we have David. Now, if we just stop here without, if you hadn't read anything else, you didn't know what else has happened, if we just stop here and you see David, who is uh, rejected by society, hunted by the king, and hiding in the woods with a bunch of smelly, you know, obstinate men, you have uh, the beautiful Abigail, but yet a woman in this society was considered uh, like property, like chattel. And then you have Nabal, who is very rich and very wealthy. Uh, who do you want to be? If we just stop there, who do you want to be in this story? And, and I don't mean like, right, like the right answer. I mean the real answer. Don't give me the church answer. I mean like who, if you, if you could really pick to be somebody in this story, who would you pick to be? Because I, I've heard lots of times like uh, people say like, hey, so-and-so made these terrible decisions. Man, if you just gave me his money, I would make much wiser decisions. How many of you guys have ever seen or read a story of a lottery winner who like wasted their money away, made lots of mistakes, and you're like, man, give me those millions and I'll figure it out, right? Like we think like everybody else around them makes mistakes, but if you give it to me, like, man, I know that money doesn't make anybody happy, but give me some money and I can really try my best in order to make myself happy. And the, the reason that we think that is because uh, money makes us comfortable. It allows us to do things. We want to we think in our right answer mind. We're like, think of all the good that I could do with that wealth, right? Like, if, you, if you're thinking, like, if I could win the lottery, like that billion dollars, that billion dollar lottery, man, I would buy Doxa a building, and I would give my na- each of my neighbors a million dollars, and man, I would give everybody a car. And the truth is, you wouldn't do any of those things, because nobody does those things. Because we, no matter how much money we get, it is never enough. We are jealous always of the people who have money and power because that's the people that we're told who have made it, right? If somebody has money and power, they are our heroes. They are the people that we look up to that we're, we are, and we are tempted to sacrifice all that we have in order to be in the position that they are. Oh, and or we're willing to sacrifice all that we have to get our kids to be in that position. And so we have children all across America in a, in a fairly new phenomenon who are having anxiety attacks as 10, 11, 12, 13-year-olds because there's so much pressure being put upon them by their parents to do everything right as a young person so they can be set up like Nabal and have it, have made it, that they can have wealth and they can have power. The people of wealth and power are our heroes. And isn't Nabal the kind of guy that we would choose to like, if I could swap places with him, I would swap places with him. Now, I know he makes really bad decisions here, but I would make really wise decisions. We would love to trade places with him because Nabal is powerful. And wouldn't it be nice, most of us in this room aren't powerful. Wouldn't it be nice to be powerful? To like not be at the, at the, not to be subject to other people's decisions around us, right? Like, because if you walk into work and your boss is having a bad day, all of a sudden you're having a bad day too, right? I mean, your, your spouse or your landlord, if they get some crazy idea, like, you're subject to them. But if you are powerful, you get to call the shots. 
And everybody else has to alter their plans around you. Would it be nice to be powerful? And would it be nice to not to be just to be rich, but to be very rich? Because when you are very rich, you can say and do whatever you want to say and do. And nobody, it doesn't matter how crazy or insane or mean it is, nobody can really say anything to you because they're, uh, they're sort of in the spell, in the orbit of your money. He's not just rich, he is very rich. And then Nabal was a shrewd businessman. Nabal was a shrewd businessman. And aren't those the people that we hold up as heroes in our society? We don't care who you slept with or what you've done or uh, what kind of person you are, whether you're nice or mean. If you have been a shrewd businessman or woman and you have risen in the ranks, like we just all am like, man, that just makes everything okay. Hey, that person is successful because they're rich and powerful and shrewd. And what happens is all the people who are outside that person look on that person and they envy them. Wouldn't it be nice to have that much money? You drive by those houses, you see them in the cars, you drive by the businesses, you read about them in magazines, you're like, man, wouldn't it be nice to be that person? But yet, that's not the whole story about Nabal. Nabal is rich and powerful, he is a shrewd businessman, and people, I'm sure, all around the hear that Nabal was harsh and badly behaved, or that wording there means actually evil, he was harsh, and he was evil. And then in verse 25, his wife, in talking to David, says, uh, let not my Lord regard this worthless fellow Nabal, for as his name is, so is he. Nabal is his name, and Nabal means fool. Nabal is his name, and folly is with him. Nabal was a fool. He was rich. He was powerful. He was shrewd, he was probably envied by people on the outside, but Nabal was a fool. He was a harsh or an evil man. Have you heard the phrase like, absolute power corrupts absolutely? It actually doesn't corrupt absolutely. It just reveals the corruption that's in our own hearts and souls. Riches and power reveal who we really are on the inside and the richer Nabal got, and the less he was dependent on the people around him, the harsher that he could become to the people around him. He was unrestrained. This whole idea of him being, uh, back in verse 3, when it says that he was harsh and badly behaved, it's this whole idea that he is unrestrained. He, he just says and does whatever comes to his mind. When David sends those young men to him in verse 10, Nabal answered David's, ser and David's servant saying, Who is David? Who's the son of Jesse? There are many servants these days who are breaking away for their masters. Shall I take my bread and my water and my meat that I have killed from my, from my shearers and give it to men who come from I don't know where? David, David was a fool. He was harsh. He was unrestrained. And he, was, he was thuggish. The, the, the word there, evil, I also have this picture of like somebody who's just a thug. Somebody who just does whatever he wants to do without caring about what the repercussions are for the people around him. And here's the crazy thing. If you're rich, then people from the outside are gonna look on to, from, to you and be envious. But we see with Nabal, not only was he rich, but he was a fool, and the people who got closer to him respected him less and less. His wife said, yes, he is a worthless man. He is a fool. 
and his servant. After Nabal responds that way to David, David like is going to be angry, and a servant runs to, to Abigail and says, "Hey, your husband." Our let's look at verse. Uh, Verse 14, but one of the young men told Abigail, Nabal's wife, behold, David sent messengers out of the wilderness to greet our master, and he railed at them. Yet the men were very good to us, and we suffered no harm, and we did not miss anything when they were in the fields as long as we were with them. They were a wall to us, both by night and by day, all the while while we were with them keeping the sheep. Now, therefore, know this and consider what you should do. For harm is determined against our master and against all his house, and he is such a worthless man that one cannot speak to him. The people who are closest around him respect him less and less the closer you are to him. Many fools are envied from afar, but they are mocked and disdained by the people who are closest to them, and that is who Nabal is. And look at the result of his foolish behavior. He was rich, he was powerful, but he was a fool nonetheless. And we see his, his decisions, his, his uh, just being harsh and hard and selfish toward David causes David to say, I cared for you and your sheep and your, and your shepherds, and now you're treating me like this, Lord let the Lord know I am going to this day make sure that there's not a male left in his household. I'm coming in all his, everything in the part of his household, his servants, his shepherds, I'm going to kill all the males in response to Nabal's harsh, evil treatment of me. Nabal's decision puts him and everybody around him in danger. And here's what made Nabal a fool. What made him a fool is selfishness and pride. What made Nabal a fool was selfishness and pride. He only cared about how things affected him and how his own comfort was, go was going. He didn't care about anybody else. And that's what makes fools of all of us. Selfishness and pride wanting to build life around myself, wanting people around me to serve me and my pleasures and my wants and my needs and caring about my own name and my, my own being above everybody else around me. Despite all of mankind's greatness, and mankind has inherited incredible greatness, Think of all the things that we've invented and things that we have done and uh, amazing stories that we hear about what humans are capable of doing. For all the great things humans are capable of doing, there's this whole like, strain that runs through all of humanity of just also humans doing the most terrible, loathsome, th loathsome things, unimaginable things. And they do so because this inherent weakness that was, that's within us, we can't seem to get out of our own way because we are constantly overcome with this sort of inner desire of selfishness. Depending on how you keep score, it's easy to overlook pride and selfishness. Nabal would look at his life and say, man, I am shrewd and I am rich and I am, uh, I am powerful. Man, I have it together. He's, by his scorecard, he's, he's checking all the boxes. And yet, he's being ruled by pride and selfishness, and he's blinded to it by himself. That's because 
Wealth and power have no direct correlation to pride, selfishness, wisdom, and foolishness. Wealth and power have no direct correlation to foolishness and pride. There are wise people who are rich and powerful, and there are fools who are rich and powerful. And there are wise people who are poor and weak, and there are There are foolish people who are poor and weak. There's no direct correlation. And the problem that we get into is when we start scoring by the wrong scorecard. Right? It's like, do you remember when you were a kid and your parents told you to clean your room? And you would go and clean your room and then they would come up and inspect? And and, and you're like, hey, I did it. And they walk in and they're like, you did not do it at all. Like you hid stuff in the closet or watch all this stuff over here. Like, you, you, like I can see you stuff things underneath the covers of your bed. Like, like it, by, our, by our scorecard, we had done it, but by their scorecard, we hadn't. God is scoring by a different scorecard than we do. We look on the exterior, but God looks on the heart. Laban's a fool, and the people around him that are closest to him know it, but his own wealth and power masks it to himself. Wisdom is knowing the best way to do the best thing at the best time. And Nabal can't see and doesn't care about any of that. He's consumed by serving his own selfish interests, his own selfish ambitions. His pride and his selfishness rule him, and that's what makes him a fool. Jesus told a parable in Luke chapter 12. Verse 16 The land of a rich man produced plentifully, and he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. Had so much of it. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, what? Fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things that you prepared, whose will they be? Nabal's pride and selfishness was fearful and impressive to other people, but he ends up being a fool, or considered to be a fool, by the only one who counts. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Proverbs 1.7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Why aren't you wise? Like, if we're honest in here, like, all of us continue to make incredibly terrible mistakes. We just can't seem to get out of our own way sometimes, right? We keep making the same mistakes. We keep making the same bad decisions and if we look at the fruit of our life, we look back and we, if we're honest with ourselves, we see like there is bad fruit for my life. I, if I'm honest, I continue to make foolish mistake after foolish mistake. Why? If you and I are foolish, if we're not wise, it's because we don't fear the Lord. Nabal had no fear of the Lord. He didn't care about how God was keeping score. He only cared about his own selfishness and his own pride. 
what happens is that that's kind of harsh and I'll be honest, when I read the story, I think, man, that, that Nabal guy, he's a bad guy. And I, you know, I identify more with David or, you know, I, I don't identify with Nabal. But, but here's the question that we have to ask ourselves. What are the motivations that rule us? What are the motivations that rule you? Is it selfishness and pride? Or is it wisdom? What are the results of those actions, those decisions that you make? Because we see here that selfishness and pride, that foolishness results in destruction and death for you and the people around you. Nabal's selfish decision was going to result in the death of all the people around him and does result in his own death. We see in verse 36 to 38 to cheat ahead, Abigail stops David from coming and killing everyone there. And Abigail came to Nabal, and behold, he was holding a feast in his house, like the feast of a king. Selfishness, pride. And Nabal's heart was merry within him, for he was very drunk. So she told him nothing at all until the morning light. And in the morning, when the wine had gone out of Nabal, his wife told him these things, and his heart died within him, and he became as a stone. About 10 days later, the Lord struck Nabal, and he died. Selfish and prideful foolishness results in destruction and death for us and for the people around us. We see a, a powerful fool, but yet we also see here a humble warrior. Now, Nabal was a fool, and he made foolish decisions, right? David, what we're going to see is he is almost a fool. And he almost makes a terribly foolish decision, but he doesn't. So Samuel's dead, and I'm sure that David feels alone. Maybe he has some simmering anger in him. His, his, his counselor, his, the guy who is powerful and with the, with the Lord and is on his side is now, is now gone. And David is left alone. He has nobody powerful on his side. And maybe as he's like running from hideout to hideout, maybe there's this inside this, at times, this simmering anger like, God, what in the world are you doing? I'm alone out here. You take away the last guy who can legitimize me as being king. He's the guy who anointed me. But how am I going to be a legitimate king when that time comes if, if Samuel's not around? That there's no end of this in sight. And now this, this man, as David's trying to be a good guy and he watches over Nabal's flocks and his shepherd, this man, this rich and powerful man, then turns around and he returns David's good for evil. And in return, David snaps and he almost makes a huge mistake. When they, his servants came back to him in verse 13, David said to his men, Every man strapped on his sword. And every man of them strapped on the sword. And David also strapped on his sword. And about 400 men went up after David. While 200 stayed back with the baggage. David is, David has decided, man, for whatever reason, like this last chapter we saw, right? He had mercy on Saul. 
He returned good for Saul's evil, but for some reason at this moment, like David snaps and he does not care. He's gonna return evil for evil. Isn't that interesting? And isn't that should be a little bit encouraging for all of us here? Because how many of us here, like, at one moment, we seem like we make a right decision, and the next moment, we're like ruled by selfishness and pride. Uh, the other night, uh, I came home after work, and uh, I probably wasn't in the, somewhere deep inside, probably wasn't in the, the happiest, best mood, and I, I walk inside, and we're having dinner, and um, I mean, I felt okay, but I, I could just, also, if I'm honest, if I look back, I can feel like there was a little bit of just like simmering underneath the surface, right? Like just... And I just, I would like today and this evening to have gone differently. And, and, and I responded in some not very pleasant ways to my, to my kids. And Megan called me on it. She's like, you're returning evil for evil. And I'm like, I just preached that sermon like five days ago. I'm the guy who was up there talking about it, and now here I am I doing the exact thing that I was preaching about just a few days before. David returned good for Saul's evil, but for some reason, and, and, and who knows why, he just can't, in this moment, he snaps, and he's going to return evil for evil to Nabal. Maybe he was angry, maybe he found it easier to respect Saul and his place as king, and he just can't find a way to do that with Nabal, for what, but for whatever reason. And, and isn't that true with us sometimes, right? Like, it's easy to show mercy to certain people around us, but other people, like, we're sort of like the, the kid who gets in trouble and then turns around and kicks the dog, right? And oftentimes, that's, we do that with the people who are closest to us. We do it with our spouse or our children or parents. Like, it's okay, like, I can, at church, I can, if you, like, cut me off or whatever, like, oh, you, you step, like, hey, no problem, but your wife does that to you at home, and then it is, for some reason, it is on. How do you respond when you've been wronged? How do you respond when you've been sinned against? For some reason, and this just hits David the wrong way, and he tells his men to strap on their swords, and they set out, and David has murder in his heart. And he would have absolutely 100% followed through. You ever been angry like that? Like, you know, I felt that before, like, something's going on with the kids upstairs, and like that walk between the bottom stair of the stairs and the top of the stairs, like, daddy is coming and I have strapped on my sword and we are gonna put a stop to this right now. And David would have followed through except for two things, which I think is kind of funny and cool, an enticing meal and a beautiful woman. Nabal's servant comes to Abigail and says, hey, your worthless husband has treated David wrong and I'm telling you we are in for it and he won't listen to anybody because he is a worthless man and Abigail who would be considered property at the time without asking or consulting her husband packs up a whole bunch of 
food and sends it on ahead to David, and then she follows behind. And so David, on the way to murder Nabal and his whole household, which was against, obviously, against the scripture, he comes across all these pack animals packed down with gifts for him, food, and then behind him, behind that, Abigail follows, traveling to David. David starts off acting foolishly, but, and this is good news for us, we see that he ends up being wise. He ends up being considered wise, even though he starts off acting foolishly. He, he starts off acting selfishly. David is acting with pride because he doesn't like how Nabal has responded to him and now he's going to take it back on to Nabal. And when Abigail comes, David does not have to listen to her. David has power. He's got men with swords, battle-tested, swords strapped to them on their way. David was a man and she was a woman, and a woman would rarely, it would, it would actually, this encounter between Abigail and David is considered scandalous because she left without telling or asking her husband, takes his possessions, packed down, sends them to David, and comes and tries to intervene directly between her husband, the foolish, worthless man, and their family and David. David didn't have to listen because he was a man and she was a woman. And David didn't have to, li- didn't have to listen because he was the, the anointed king of Israel by Jove. I don't have to listen to anybody. And he had been, he had been wronged. And isn't there a special kind of like depth of anger, like a bite in our anger whenever you know that you are like, it's righteous anger when you've been wronged? Isn't there an extra bite to it, extra veracity to it? Yet, even though David had been wronged, he was wrong himself in this moment. It's possible to be wronged and yet still be wrong at the same time. Because he was responding out of selfishness and pride. Not the problem that we often find ourselves in. Somebody, a spouse, a coworker, somebody, they treat us wrongly out of selfishness and pride. That hurts our selfishness and pride, and then we reply back. But we see here how David could be both wrong and could be wise. Because when Abigail comes to him, as we're going to see, David actually humbles himself and listens to Abigail. He listens to what this woman has to say to him, this property of another man. He listens to the correction that she has for him. And then he changes his direction. He changes his mind. He he basically repents. He changes from what he was going to do to follow what the Lord had called him to do, to not respond out of selfishness and pride, but to respond in humility and self-denial. And and in that way, David is considered wise. Isn't that good news? That you can both be wrong and be wise? But wisdom isn't perfection. Wisdom is humility and self-denial. 
And sometimes that means that when we are wrong and we hear the word of God come to us, we hear somebody speak to us, that we actually humble ourselves and deny the quick, the quick fix that David was seeking here and deny ourselves as David does, and then we can be considered wise even though we were wrong. That means we can be wise even when we mess up. My question to you today is, are you hearing what God is saying to you? Are you hearing what God is saying to you to the people around you? Are you hearing what he's saying to you through his word? And are you letting that catch you and turn you or are you still obstinately looking ahead, responding like Nabal in, fool, in foolish pride and selfishness? Are you just barreling ahead? Are you hearing God speak to you in humbling yourself and therefore being able to walk the path of wisdom even whenever you were trying to run down the path of foolishness? David was a humble warrior, but when we see an unlikely hero, and this is really the cool part of the story, is that the real hero of the story, well, the hero is God, right? I mean, God is orchestrating all of this. David acknowledges that. But yet the person who's, Nabal is rich and powerful. David's powerful in himself. He's not rich like Nabal is, but he has men, armed men at his, at his side. They are both rich, or they are both powerful men, and in that mix between these two powerful men kind of squaring off against each other and like something that can get really bad really quick, everything is against Abigail being the one who makes a difference. Abigail is a woman. She was considered property. And Abigail was married to a jerk, right? So she's a woman considered property and she's a property of a jerk. Like, like everything is stacked against her being the person who actually steps in and is wise and is able to diffuse the situation. But she's shown to be the wisest person in this whole saga. She's described as discerning. She's described as, as being proactive. Whenever she hears about what is coming with David, she, without consulting anybody, she makes provisions to try to head off David. She was courageous. She feared the Lord. How do you become wise? You fear the Lord. She feared the Lord more than she did her husband and more than she did her own life. What if she got to David and he's so angry he's not even gonna listen? He could strike her down. She is discerning, she's proactive, she's courageous, and she moved in order to protect the innocent, to protect the people and the not-so-innocent, her own husband, Nabal. You have let the Lord be your guardian. You've let the Lord be your protector. Let, don't, don't, don't mess it all up today because of my worthless husband, she humbled herself to David when she comes to him. She, in verse 23, she gets down from the donkey and falls before David on her face and bows to the ground. And she continually calls him my Lord, respecting him. And here's really the big thing in here. Abigail took the blame. Listen to this. When Abigail saw David, she hurried and got down from the donkey and fell before David on her face and bowed to the ground. She fell at his feet and said, on me alone, my Lord, be the guilt. Please let your servant speak in your ears and hear the words of your servant. Now, she had actually done nothing to be blamed for. 
but she comes as the innocent one to David and says, blame me. Put the blame upon me. And we see there wisdom triumphing over evil through humility and self-denial. And in doing so, Abigail was acting like Jesus, right? Think about Philippians chapter two. Paul tells the church at Philippi, have this mind amongst yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human formed, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus humbled himself all the way to the cross, and that's how he declared and showed wisdom. And so how you and I, who are full of pride and selfishness as human beings, how are we to find a path to become wise? To fear the Lord, right? But how do we grow in the fear of the Lord? What, what does that mean? To fear the Lord means to give him the respect that is due to him, and we see the respect that is due to him most clearly when we see Jesus Christ, God himself, empty himself and humble himself of a sacrificial death for us on the cross. And that's why Paul says, have that mind in you that was in Jesus, who humbled himself. You grow in the fear of the Lord when you see the Son humble himself for you. In James, we won't turn there, but in James 3, we see him paint this beautiful picture of what earthly wisdom, earthly foolishness does and what heavenly wisdom does to the people around us. It changes the people around us and it changes the circumstances around us. So my question to you this morning is have you humbled yourself? Do you, have you, or are you building your life around selfishness and pride, trying to make people serve you around you? And you see that is consistently and constantly tearing down and breaking down the relationships. And it's, you're constantly tri like tripping over yourself, making the same mistakes over and over again. Let today be the day that you see what Christ has done for you in his broken body and his shed blood on your behalf, emptying himself and humbling himself for you to let today be the day that you, in response, bow your knee and humble yourself to him as your Lord and Savior. Let that be today. And if you are a believer, let's... Let us see again and afresh his sacrifice on our behalf and let us devote ourselves to being people who are wise and not foolish, who don't follow the pattern of this world seeking after pride and selfishness, but rather 
follow in the example of Christ in denying ourselves and humbling ourselves and letting that wisdom change the relationships that we're in and the workplaces that we're in and the neighborhoods that we live in. Let's respond like Abigail and David and mostly Jesus and see wisdom triumph over evil. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Doxa Church. We are so glad that you took the time to join us today. At Doxa, we exist to make disciples who joyfully worship Jesus with their whole lives. We invite you to join us. Doxa Church meets at 10 a.m. every Sunday at River Oaks Elementary School. For more information about Doxa Church, please visit us online at www.doxachurch.org.